Well, good evening once again, and thank you for allowing me to bring this word to you. It is actually a privilege to be able to do that. And uh, we're going to be digging deeper into Nehemiah again tonight, and I've really enjoyed this series, and I hope you have too. I hope you found a number of things that you can actually apply to your life and that God has blessed you at this time. As we look at this passage this evening, chapter 11, I want to touch back quickly on what happened in chapter 10, just to emphasize the attitude of heart and where the people were at, the commitment that was presented in uh, chapter 10, which so much influences what happened in chapter 11. And in chapter 10, they committed to a covenant with God. They made a number of promises to him, which included their willingness to follow the laws and commands of God as laid out in scripture. Emphasizing this commitment um, to obedience, they said they would no longer allow their sons and daughters to intermarry with those nations that were actually around them. They would only allow them to marry fellow Israelites. Um, they also returned to the practice of keeping the Sabbath day holy. And not only would they not work, but if anyone from the outlying nations brought goods into uh, Jerusalem to be sold, they wouldn't purchase them. And they also put an obligation upon themselves to support the temple financially and volunteering to work when required. And all these, these, all these things were laid on their hearts by hearing the word of God. And they didn't just hear God's word. They allowed it to transform them, to change them. And they put that word into action. Chapter 10 finishes with some very powerful words. We will not neglect the house of our God. These are powerful words because it indicates that they knew that they once had neglected the house of God. And the declaration now is one that comes from the conviction of not only hearing God's word, as I said, but actually putting that in action. They realized God's word spoke to them and they allowed it to transform their lives. So before we get into chapter 11, let's just pause and pray. Father God, I want to thank you once again that we can gather like this. I thank you for your presence with us. I thank you for everyone in the households uh, across the, the world, Lord. There's people watching from other parts of the world as well who are listening to this message. I ask your hand will be upon them. I ask, Lord, that they will hear your voice in what is said. And I ask more than anything, Lord, that there'll be something that each of us needs to respond to and that we'll be willing to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the matter or issue that is actually dealt with in chapter 11 is first mentioned back in Nehemiah 7, 4 and 5. And that says the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it on my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And the genealogy in this case provided all the names of those people who'd returned from exile. And the majority of them had gone to live in outlying villages and areas rather than living in the city because it was much safer at that stage because the city had not been rebuilt. But now that the wall has been rebuilt, there's a need to defend the city against physical attack. Cities without walls are not easily defended, but now that there is a wall there, they need to be able to defend it. And we know that Jerusalem had been the butt of many jokes because the wall had been broken down, but all of that had changed. And now it was time to fulfill what God had placed on the heart of Nehemiah right back in Nehemiah chapter 7. Think about what has happened between Nehemiah 7 and chapter 11, the one that we read this evening. The spiritual foundations have been established and literally Jerusalem as a city, as a people, has risen from the ruins. And they have become the holy city. 
What we read in chapter 11 is all about the population of Jerusalem and how it needed to be grown. But it's worth noting, there was more concern for the people, their hearts, their attitudes, their standing before God, their relationship with Him, than there was for the number of people in Jerusalem. Only after the basics of their relationship with God was restored, did they look at growing the nation's capital. The foundational reason for this nation had to be established first. They had to be a people of God. They had to be central. It had to be central, sorry, that about who they were. If God wasn't at the center, it just wasn't going to work. And once it was, once God was at the center of their lives, they would become the nation and the people who God intended them to be. He will work out his purposes through them. And it is through Jerusalem, through this nation of Israel, that God's promised Messiah would come. And that was the motivation for Nehemiah right at the start, if you remember. And I find it incredible here, uh, this start of chapter 11, before the city is populated, before it is recognized as a great city, before it is established as a city of commerce, that Jerusalem is called the holy city for the first time. Holiness never has been, never will be about outward appearance. Whether someone or something is successful, whether it looks right or good, whether it sounds right or good, true holiness is an attitude of heart. It's about being totally content in God, who he is, what he has done, and what he calls us to. True holiness is transformational. It strengthens people to have the resolve to put aside what they want and focus on what God wants. And this is what happened in Jerusalem. These people have been transformed because they have heard God. They have submitted to him and been transformed by him. And he has called them and the result being that they're motivated to action. Now the walls have been rebuilt. Uh, This city needs to be populated and they would need people who could protect it. And now they've returned to honoring God. They would need people to work in the temple and also others involved in the work around the temple. And as the population grew, there would be a need for many people, for blacksmiths, for merchants, for cooks, for lamp dressers, for laborers, innkeepers, tent makers, tanners, and so many other things as well. And in the first verse... We are told that the leaders are already living in Jerusalem. And this is logical. Jerusalem should be re-established as the capital of the region. And as such, the seat of government should be within Jerusalem. But this verse verse also tells us that there were one in ten who decided by lot to leave their outlying villages and communities and move to live within the walls of Jerusalem. Now, this wasn't uncommon in the day. It was quite common for leaders of states or regions to enforce these types of actions in order to grow their capitals. The strength of a state was often gauged by the size and predominance of the capital of that state or area. But there's something else that sets Israel apart. There were these people who were chosen by lot, but there were also a number who volunteered to go. They willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These people, in my opinion, are responding to the transformation that has occurred in their lives as a result of hearing God's word. They choose to move themselves and their families to dwell inside the city walls, not because of what's on offer. There's very little there at the moment. The houses have not been rebuilt. There's no commerce or trade that has been strengthened. These people are going in faith. 
There's literally nothing for them at this stage. But because they love God, because they believe what God is going to do with the city of Jerusalem, they've been prompted by him and they respond and move into the city. And the communities around these people blessed them when they went. Why? Because they were willing to make that sacrifice. They were willing to deny themselves the lifestyles they had, the community they were presently in, the security, love, comfort and support that that community provided for them. And they moved in obedience and the good of his holy city. And as we read through the following verses, we see there were people who served in the temple. Nehemiah 11.10 says the priests um, were there. And these are the men who were set apart for God. These are descendants of Aaron, called specifically to intercede between God and the people. They were to offer the sacrifices and gifts to God on behalf of the people, and they were to teach the people about God. Then there were the people who worked outside the temple. Now, we don't know for sure exactly what these people do. They may have been responsible for the upkeep of the external temple walls and their grounds, those types of things. They may have been responsible for some of the spiritual work outside of the temple, um, those settling of disputes and matters that needed a mediator. They might have done some visitation to people who were housebound. We don't know, but whatever it is, this group of people played their part and fulfilled the role that they actually had at that time. And when we look at verse 17, we see that these men were responsible for the praise and giving thanks. In our terms, these guys were praying. They would join with the morning and evening sacrifices and pray to God. They would acknowledge all God had done for them as a people and give thanks and praise to him for that. And then the singers led the people in worshipping God through song. These songs express our joy in God, our gratitude for his mercy towards us and praise him for who he is. All through scripture, believers are called to sing. When there is a victory, songs were composed. The majority of references in singing in scripture indicate that it is a way of praising God and we are told we will be singing in heaven. In fact, the angels already do. Singing is of great significance in God's kingdom and these people are called to lead the people in singing. All of these people who are mentioned in Nehemiah 11 were necessary for God's will and purpose to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. They were leading people in the daily worship and life of believers or they were participating in daily praise, worship and honour of God. This is God's holy city. It not only needed to be restored physically, but it needed to be restored spiritually. And the roles, responsibilities, obedience and commitment of each of these people, priests and volunteers alike, served to fulfil this need. God used each and every one to restore his holy city. So what's that mean for us? As I studied Nehemiah 11, I couldn't help but notice the parallels to where we are as a people and to what happened in Jerusalem. Those involved in the work of God are so similar today. We are called by God, but some have specific roles and are called into full-time ministry. The reality is, though, we cannot function as a church unless we have a number of volunteers who are willing to serve alongside us in the roles that they also are called to. I recapped what happened for Israel in chapter 10. 
This was the catalyst for the commitment and dedication that is shown here in chapter 11. These people, and first and foremost, had had an encounter with God. Their willingness to serve came as a result of not only hearing God's word, but responding to it and allowing it to transform their lives. And that transformation prompted them to greater works for him. If the city was going to be a holy city, then the foundation had to be one of faith in God. It cannot be based on anything else. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, But we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. We are God's people. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And we are so that we may proclaim his excellencies, the great things he's done, the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into light. And once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Unfortunately, we so often get this wrong. Israel had got it wrong. They had lost their way. And praise God, he stirred the heart of one man, Nehemiah, to make a difference. And although he didn't know how he would do it, Nehemiah was obedient to the call of God and Israel was transformed. If we want all we do here at SDBC to be God's work, then the priority has to be, it must be, the people's relationship with God, first and foremost. Anything else will not achieve God's purpose. I want you to think about where we are as a church in the present COVID-19 restrictions. Prior to COVID-19, we're in the process of going through the basics once more. We wanted to re-establish people's faith and re-establish what has to be the priority in our lives. Lives which are totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. People who are willing to each and every day put to death their old selves and live their lives for Jesus and his purposes. We were going to establish this through doing the Master Life course. And this course establishes the foundations and disciplines of faith in those who participate. But to take on board the call of God, to listen to his voice and his word, and to action that is the major part of the course, to live out what we learn. It isn't just about hearing God's word. It's about doing what he says. As I have been called here by God first and foremost and by SDBC as a whole to pastor in this church, I've been given the responsibility of many roles in re-establishing ministries in this church. And the priority for me has always been to pursue the heart of God, to have those who have been involved to seek after God. And there's plenty of people who have certain skill sets. There's plenty of people who have lots of ability. But if they're not actively daily pursuing God, how can they be involved in the work of Jesus? How can their work and ministry proclaim the excellencies of him who has called them if they haven't experienced that, if they're not proclaiming that themselves? The reality is they can't. It's simply not possible. Only those who have a genuine faith in Jesus, who are constantly pursuing him, 
can lead people in genuine worship of him. It's the same for those who pray, those who teach the word, those who encourage and strengthen others. None of it will have an eternal value if those involved have not come to the point of being transformed by the very word of God. It's not just about hearing. It's about being doers of his word. For those of us who are moving on in our faith with the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that it is daily about repenting. It's about returning to him to con continuously. We need to be constantly looking to God for wisdom and guidance. And then we need to be obeying him. We need to be hearing his word and doing what it calls us to. We need to willingly sacrifice our demands and our wants and do what he calls us to, whatever the cost. As we entered the COVID-19 restrictions, God so graciously prompted just a few people, not many people at all, to put some things in place, to take action so that we could do what we're doing today. You are seeing this message over the internet today because of that prompting. But they couldn't do it on their own. Just like Nehemiah needed people with particular skill sets to serve in various roles, so did we as a church. 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. And we've seen this in action during the COVID-19 situation. Sure, God stirred up the hearts of those few people and they were able to put in place a few things that allowed us to continue to honour, worship and praise him. But he didn't miraculously provide them with the skill sets to actually get this to air. He did stir the hearts of many volunteers though. And we've seen so many people put up their hand to edit these videos weekly so that we could see and hear a standard that is truly remarkable. It doesn't distract us, it engages us. And their work is helping you to hear from God, to respond to Him. And we need to thank and praise and glorify God for raising up these volunteers. There are people who put their hand up to lead prayer meetings before each of the services. And so we now have this incredible blessing to have people leading uh, prayer services before each of our services, the 8.30, the 10.30, the 6.30. So if you'd like to be involved in these pre-service prayer meetings, uh, I encourage you to contact myself or Coralie Lowe and I'll put you in touch with the people who are involved in leading those meetings each week. I want to encourage you though, if you aren't called to any particular role within our church, remember that we are called first and foremost to be physically present in the place God has called us to be. And if that's SDBC for you right now, that is an incredible blessing. Not everyone will be part of a dramatic ministry, but committing your life to Jesus and being present at SDBC is being here and, and ministering in itself. Romans 12.1 says to us, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. The very life you live, the example you set, is ministry in itself. 
You minister to those around you by the way you conduct yourself. And when the people of Israel were stirred by the word of God, they committed to tithes to give to the temple. And again, we're just so astounded by the level of giving that you were providing at the moment. You are ministering in doing that. Keep up the good work. In the same way, I'm so thankful for the words of encouragement, the people who are sending me messages and saying that they're praying for me. I know the other pastors and leaders are the same. It is so encouraging that you're ministering to us in that way. And the wider church don't even know you're doing it, but thank you. It is so valuable to us. And this is part of your spiritual worship. When you're sitting at home and listening to these messages, when Judy and the worship team who recorded so long ago so that we could have some songs, do you sing along with that? I don't know if you do. I know Elena and I do, but that is part of our spiritual worship, singing praises and glory to God. The bottom line is, we need you. God needs you. If we are to be the holy nation that we are called to be, we need each and every one of us. And you need a willingness to say to God, Lord, I am here. Use me. It is when we take that step and make ourselves available to him and his purposes, willing instruments in his hands, that he will do an amazing work. Our lives should be about building each other up, strengthening and extending the work of our Lord. And that's what I'm asking you to do today. That's what I believe Nehemiah 11 indicates for us. The focus isn't on numbers. Never has been, never should be. The focus should be on the spiritual well-being of a people. A people of God. A holy nation. I want to help you if we can. To build you up and strengthen you in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father God, thank you again that we can meet like this. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for the power of the word and how it is spoken to me before I presented it to these people. And Lord, I pray for each one of us that you will be stirring our hearts, that we will be willing to respond what you prompt us to, And Lord, I know you have raised up a number of people. Thank you so much for those who are faithfully giving. Thank you that they're cheerfully giving. Thank you for those who are engaging in these services at home and are honouring and glorifying you there, Lord. That is their spiritual worship, holy and acceptable to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the words of encouragement that so many are spreading throughout our church community, Lord. I pray that that will continue. I pray that they will know the pleasure that you have, that you are accepting this, their offer of spiritual worship, Lord. But Lord, you're going to continue to raise people up as we come back to a time when we may be able to gather together within the next few months. I know you're going to raise people up to new roles, things we haven't even thought about. And Lord, we want to maintain our presence. We want people to be able to hear your voice through SDBC. Lord, I pray that we will be a people who bless those who are doing the work, who bless them through praying for them, empowering them, commissioning them and encouraging them to go on. But more than that, Lord, I pray that those of us who are in the background will constantly pray for each other and will faithfully serve you in whatever role you call them to, Lord. Lord, we want to submit to you We want to be used for your will and purpose. And if you'd laid anything on the hearts of those who are hearing this today, Lord, please allow them to email me. Allow them to email the office and let's have a chat. Lord, 
we do submit to you. We love you and we desperately want more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless one and all. We'll see you again soon.